I will say this. It's easier than ever to be a talk show host. And, well, actually, the hard part is what not to talk about. Wow, wow, wow. 1209, howdy, howdy, Wisconsin. Jerry Bader in once again for Jeff Wagner. We, man, I mean, I don't know how. I remember way back when I first started doing talk radio. And by the way, I... That was not back in the prehistoric times of talk radio. 1988 is when Rush Limbaugh uh, went national. I first, I was a news gypsy. I don't even know, is that politically correct anymore? Maybe I'm not supposed to say that. I, I, I wandered from radio market to radio market as a news person. I'll put it that way. And uh, first got into talk radio in 2001. So even I was late to the game, so to speak. But. When I think of show prep back then and now, I don't do a talk show. I don't host a show every day. But the days I do, like all this week and much of next week, it's like drinking out of a fire hose. I mean, what, what, what do you leave on the table? Well, then stop whining about it and do a show. That is really good advice. And I'm glad I gave it to myself. All right. So we are going to talk uh, probably in the 2 o'clock hour. In fact, not probably. In the 2 o'clock hour, we will be talking about Syria, shutdown vote, and some other things. The intent had been to do that with U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, obviously because of the absolute uncertainty that's going on with the, the funding vote. I called it the shutdown vote. Shouldn't really. The funding vote and what President Trump may or may not do with that. Senator Johnson's office just couldn't guarantee that we could have him in the 2 o'clock hour schedule, and they can't guarantee. Odds are he'll be traveling back to Wisconsin when uh, I'm on the air tomorrow. So what we're looking at is late next week for Senator Johnson. In his absence, though, we will be talking about those things. We're going to start this hour... With potty talk, sort of. More like toilet talk. Toilet talk. You know, as I said, I I, I started talk radio in 2001. If you had told me at any point in my radio career, even as uh, a guest host, that I would be talking about flushable wipes, I would have thought you were crazy. But here we go. (laughs) So you may or may not be aware, I, I don't know how much coverage it got a couple of weeks ago, December 10th. The Supreme Court, in that week, declined to hear an appeal from a lower court ruling that allows a customer to sue the manufacturer of flushable wipes over false advertising. The case stems from a class action suit brought by Jennifer Davidson after she purchased Scott Natural's flushable moist wipes in 2013 and noticed they felt sturdy and thick. Why, they didn't break up like toilet paper does, according to the court documents. Now, if, you don't, I mean, if you're not familiar with this product, they're, they're different companies uh, offered them. They are, well, some people just feel that they need more than toilet paper. I don't want to go too far here. You, you, you get it, right? 
There's a lot of controversy over them. In fact, one Wisconsin community, at least, urging people don't use them. Yeah, they're flushable in that they will probably make it through your pipes, but they don't break down the way toilet paper does. And they, you may have seen some of the videos online or on television. They cause these icebergs. They're just they're in the sewer systems. They just don't, they don't go away. They did not. Now, it's interesting. She filed suit even though the wipes did not clog her home's plumbing. She argued the manufacturer's use of the term flushable in its marketing was deceptive and claimed the company had violated California's Consumer Legal Remedies Act, its false advertising law, and unfair competition. Now, that was Kimberly Clark. That was the Supreme Court refusing to take that up a couple of weeks ago. This is today. This is today. Procter & Gamble Company has agreed to settle a class action lawsuit, separate company, separate suit, involving Charmin Freshmates flushable wipes that claimed P&G's marketing, advertising, and sale of the wipes with the representations flushable, septic safe, and safe for sewer and septic systems were false or misleading. This guy, Barrett Bronham, writes for... Uh, the Cincinnati Business Journal, of course, Procter & Gamble, uh, headquartered in Cincinnati. I believe it's still the headquarters there. Uh, flushed wipes can cause clogged pipes at houses, apartment complexes, and offices. Some sewer pumps in greater Cincinnati have to be cleaned weekly, while others are cleaned annually because of wet wipe clogs, he previously reported. A spokesman for Cincinnati-based... P&G denies the allegations made by plaintiffs. P&G was not found liable in this lawsuit and continues to sell Charmin flushable wipes. To ensure the misuse of the company's resources, we've elected to settle. In other words, we're not messing around with this anymore. So what does this mean? In connection with the settlement, P&G agreed to include additional information on the labeling of the wipes and also agreed to stricter industry standard testing protocols, according to the law firm Gutride Safir of San Francisco, which is representing plaintiffs. P&G will also provide, and this is the part I love, 60 cent per package refund, up to $4.20 per household, to class members without proof of purchase. A $30 household maximum to be paid for claims submitted with proof of purchase. Yeah, because we all keep our receipts on flushable wipes, which means that an itemized sales receipt generated by a retailer. A claim must be submitted online, blah, blah, blah. So all the, the real money here goes to the lawyers. I've got a couple of questions for you on this. One, they don't, for the most part, I'm not saying they can't, but they are flushable. However, I'm guessing when Kimberly Clarks and P&G's engineers designed these things, they weren't thinking about sewer and septic systems. Hey, as long as the user at home can get rid of it, that's fine. Now, at least one Wisconsin community has urged people to stop flushing flushable wipes. That is Chilton. This was uh, from the same day the Supreme Court decided not to take up that case. Sewer officials, according to WBAY-TV in Green Bay, say it's creating an issue costing taxpayers tens of thousands of dollars a year because you have to clean these things up. So this is normally not good talk radio advice to give you two things to talk about, but it's Christmas, so who doesn't like a twofer? Here are the two questions I have for you. I think the class action suit is complete silliness, that you can get 60-some cents or whatever back. And two, you know, the lawyers getting are, are getting all of that stuff. 
But two, and more to the point, should should they keep making these things? If they're really a hazard, and it appear, should it be something the the public can buy if it really is messing up sewer systems? You may take a swing at either or both at the Econet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. News Radio WTMJ. 1227 News Radio WTMJ. Some final thoughts on this. A couple of texts talking about this class action suit today. Let me say that. Let me sum up relatively quickly on this. I think the class action suit on flushable wipes really does benefit really no one but the attorneys involved. Getting 60 cents or a little more if you have proof of purchase. What harm was done to the user other than they feel duped when they find out that these things didn't go through the they, they they don't break down. Okay. If you were given the impression that septic and sewer systems can handle this, they can't. Okay. But what harm was done to you other than perhaps you're made uncomfortable by that? For example, Deb and Wes Alice, Dr. Oz had a show where he took a tour of a sewage plant, and the person who worked there said they do not disintegrate. They just clog the system really bad. After watching that, I can no longer flush those. Okay, and then don't flush them. Uh, a plumber writes, I pull them out of drains all the time when the houses or business backs up with sewage water. See, and the, all I can tell you is they flush down our toilet, so that, that may be a problem particularly depending, I suppose, on how many they use, like anything else. But what, what gets left unanswered here is, what do we do? Okay, communities are saying, and by the way, I, 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 I've seen the video too. I'm not doubting this at all. Communities are saying, this really doesn't work. All right, it doesn't work. So what do we do? Do we ban them? Can they not be sold? Do what? What do we? What do we? Uh, there's. I don't see an answer here, and that to me is where you know class action suits. Uh, uh, the woman who brought one of the class action suits conceded it didn't clog up her system. You know her her bathroom, her toilet, whatever. So what really was the point? And what do we, this class action suit isn't going to fix the problem that it is creating for sewer systems. So I, I, I don't, I guess I do ask it rhetorically, what do we do? I don't know. Speaking of what do we do, what do you do with your money in 2019 based on what's happening to the stock market right now? Uh, we'll get to that and a lot of other stuff uh, coming up. It is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. They can keep the sleigh in the shed, apparently, this Christmas in Wisconsin, none of the white stuff. 1235, News Radio WTMJ, Jerry in for Jeff. Uh, after 1 o'clock, so earlier this week, I took up the story of a tragically sad situation in Michigan where an 18-year-old man took his own life. His parents 
sat with the priest who would be presiding the, over the funeral and said, look, this is what we want to focus on and so on. And the priest proceeded to preach about the sin that suicide is. The parents said the worst day of their life was made all the more worse because of it. The Archdiocese of Detroit, which uh, where the church is involved, included, has said, well, we're going to deal with this priest. He's going to have remedial action. He didn't handle this well. We received an email on that topic, and I'm going to share portions of it with you, but there is also another development on this story. A number of other Catholic priests are coming to the defense of this priest, saying he didn't do anything wrong. And as priests, we're all in big trouble if he got in trouble for doing what he did. Very emotional topic, and we'll take it up again at 1 o'clock. At this moment, though, and let me just give you the very latest here. I'll refresh the page and inform you that the Dow is off 451.73. It's under 23,000, 22,000, 871.93. So, as USA Today puts it, the worst December for stocks since 1931, the heart of the Great Depression keeps getting worse. The Dow remains under pressure and is trading sharply lower again today amid a negative reaction to the Fed's latest interest rate hike, which is interesting because you would have almost thought to a degree that was baked into the cake that that investors knew that was coming. But anyway, and suggestion that two more increases are coming next year, investors fear the continued rise in borrowing costs will cause the economy to slow. And as I said, it's it's uh, four down four fifty ish right now. The tech packed Nasdaq briefly slipped into bear market territory after dropping more than twenty percent from its late August peak. Just so you're aware, if a market drops below twenty cents, twenty uh, percent rather, it's a bear or a retracting officially retracting market versus a bull market or a growing market. Twenty percent decline over any given period of time, is a bear market. And it was there briefly. And the broad S&P 500 stock index now down more than 10% from the end of September. Investors who are growing increasingly worried about the central bank causing a recession by boosting interest rates too aggressively were disappointed in Fed Chief Jerome Powell's decision Wednesday not to signal a halt to its rate hike plans next year. President Trump has come under a lot of criticism because he has been bashing Powell for for these, you know, what's he doing, what's he doing, why is... Okay, normally what you do, or the reason that you continue with increases is because there's a fear of inflation, which is certainly not the case now. On the other hand, watchers around the world have been saying for years that rates were dropped almost below the basement after the financial crisis of 2008, and for years now, some watchers have been saying, why, why don't you jack the rates up already? That you've kept them low too long. That said, most people now feel that the Fed, probably given the state of the economy, being a little too aggressive. But you know, the trade wars of President Trump, there's a lot of factors going into this. I also feel that there is something of a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, 
you know, you hear about chances for a recession, and, and a lot of what goes into a recession, of course, is consumer confidence. And I, that's you shake consumer confidence, you increase the chances of a recession, and I think it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's not to say that there weren't other factors already existing that could lead to one. Now, Forbes has an interesting little piece here. The Dow is down this year. Or is it? The misleading issue of what the market is. They ask, which of these statements is true about the year-to-date performance of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the Dow, as of the close of business on December 14th, in nearly a week ago? And of course, it has not had a good week since then. It's down 0.28%, it's up 3.04%, it's up more than 5%. The answer? All of the above. How can that be? The Dow can't be down, up, and up more all at the same time. Actually, it can be. And if you're thinking that I'm leaving out dividends paid by the 30 stocks, you are wrong. I'm not in the Dow. But that would be a good guess. Then he writes, if you are my age or older, you may remember the old game show, What's My Line?, in which three people would sit on a panel and try to guess someone's profession. On the show, each of the three panelists would try to convince the contestant and the audience that they were the real person being described. This would be harder to do in the age of the Internet, I suspect. Anyway, he goes on. On that show, there was only, of course, one correct answer. Similarly, a well-known U.S. stock index like the Dow can't possibly have three different returns over the same time period, or can it? And while the explanation I will now give you writes will clear up that little riddle, the key point is as an investor, you need to either know what is truly uh, you truly own or find someone who does. The Dow you hear reported and tracked all day, the one in the headlines, was down 0.28% for 2018 through December 14th, and of course it's gotten worse in the past week. However, as I've written to you in the past, the Dow, while it contains 30 of the most venerated businesses in the U.S., is priced according to a weighting scheme that to this day frustrates many in the investment industry. And most people don't understand that the Dow, that number you hear, is weighted. It's based on the dollar price per share of each stock. So if a stock's price is much higher than another stock's price, its weighting is also much higher. Therefore, it has a larger impact on the Dow. And the Dow impacts market sentiment, which in turn contributes to a lot of gyrations in the value of your investment account. It's a pretty weird way to structure one of the leading stock market indicators, but the Dow is so ingrained and accepted in investment circles, we need to recognize this quirk exists and operate accordingly. So what he's talking about is the significance that key companies play. If we simply weight the 30 Dow stocks equally, you know, like we love all the children the same amount, right? That produced a return over the same period of 3%, 3.04. The two methods were producing very similar results, coincidentally, until the fourth quarter of this year. Even weighted and unweighted were about the same. But what about the 5% figure I included as another year-to-date return? That's simply my calculation of the return of the 30 Dow stocks if they've been weighted according to their market capitalization at the start of the year. So what he's saying here is you have to look at what you own in terms of how nervous you should be and understand all of the factors that go into that. I don't disagree with him. 
And I do understand what he's saying. But the reality is, the drag still continues. I, I, I get, yeah, I understand what he's talking about. And that kind of goes into the, the whole confidence thing as well. So what will things look like next year? Nobody knows, of course, but I do want to chat about that. Uh, and just by the way, if, if you have any thoughts on this, in terms of what you have done with your investments or how nervous you are, you certainly can weigh in on this. 414-799-1620, the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 1245, News Radio, WTMJ. 1247, News Radio, WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I'm still here tomorrow. Uh, on the air, that is. I, I, you know, I, I hope I'm still here, <laughs> period. I, uh, I'm doing the show tomorrow and then back on Wednesday through Friday next week, the day after Christmas, talking about the Dow. And now the one thing that we haven't talked about, one of the things that's being blamed apart for at least the plummet today is uh, it looked as though there was a deal on keeping government open, but the president, as he is wont to do, said, I don't think I'm going to sign this thing. And there's and now again, he is willing, he says, to have a partial shut. It's really important to say that partial part. The partial shutdown of government uh, because he wants the wall. Wall Street didn't like that. And then, again, there are myriad other factors as well. The, the Fed news yesterday and the Dow is continuing to have another bad day. So this is the point where some people on the radio claim to think they can tell you what you should do and what 2019 is going to look like. I have no idea. If you have any thoughts on this, I will tell I have some thoughts, but I have no idea what's going to happen. 414-799-1620. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, a couple of years ago, a few, quite frankly, before the market really took off, it was under fifteen thousand. In fact, my wife and I protected some of our retirement assets, and we've been talking about that for years now. Man, you know, we really missed out. Again, some we have some out there aggressively, which of course have taken an absolute pounding this quarter but we've protected our assets you do have to look at what works for you the problem though and i think the the fortune article that i read that's what the the author was talking about is that number you know when people think of stock markets they just tend to think of the dow and they look at the big picture number, which again is a weighted number. And oh, wow. And then, you know, you look at that quarterly statement and you see how it impacted your 401k or, or whatever form your stock investments are in. I, you know, I know that the, the stuff that we didn't protect, the stuff we still have out there aggressively in stocks, It's going to look really ugly, and it looked really pretty just a couple of months ago. It's up to the individual. All right, I'm 57. 
I expect to be in the workforce, quite honestly, another 10 years. I have, I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to be in the workforce for the next 10 years. Let's just, let's just pick at least 67, and honestly, I really think it's going to be at least 67 before I retire. And despite the projections I'm hearing, I, I'm not counting on what Social Security will be at that point for me. So my wife and I will continue to monitor. We're not going to freak out. If you're under 40, okay, first you have to remember how meteorically high the market's gone in the past four or five years. And quite frankly, soared under President Trump. That's the first thing you have to remember. Okay? But if you're under 40, I'm just, again, I'm not going to dispense advice here. But my, my usual personal advice is not to panic. People who are closer to retirement than I am and my wife are, uh, is they're going to have a different perspective on this. And then the final thing, who to blame? Well, I, there's plenty to go around. I actually... Initially, I did not agree with President Trump, but I do agree with him on this and others who are saying this has gotten a bit aggressive now. I think that is a fair point. Uh, As the Wall Street Journal put it in an opinion piece today, Powell to markets, take that. The Fed told financial markets they don't really matter that much on the real American economy. And the markets barked right back that the Fed doesn't appreciate the current signs of financial stress that could become economic trouble in 2019. That's the hawkish message from the Fed Open Market Committee's decision to raise its benchmark interest rate another quarter point to 2.5%, and especially from Chairman Jay Powell's press conference. The central banker asserted that the economy is so strong and labor markets so robust The Fed can afford to raise rates for the fourth time this year, plus two more times next year. Sure, said Mr. Paul, some cross-currents have emerged in markets. Inflation is below the Fed's 2% target, and most people don't realize the sweet spot for inflation for a good surging economy, somewhere between 2 and 2.5%. And it's not there. Global growth is slowing, and even U.S. growth will slow next year to between 2 and 2.5 from at least 3% this year. But no matter, nothing will keep the Fed from its self-appointed rounds back to a neutral rate of interest, as if anyone knows what that is in this brave new world of post-crisis monetary policy, meaning post-2008. The markets reacted with a clenched fist of their own in real time. Equity markets held up well enough until Mr. Powell was asked if the Fed has considered altering the pace of its balance sheet reduction, known as quantitative tightening, or QT, the reverse of quantitative easing. Mr. Powell essentially said no. And in any case, it doesn't matter because the Fed's bond sales aren't having much of an impact on credit conditions. That's when equity prices took another header, compounding their autumn swoon More important, 5- and 10-year Treasury bond yields fell sharply before recovering and were still down on the day. In other words, Mr. Powell and the Fed staff may think they are setting interest rates, but the markets are saying, sorry, we are. So there's no doubt that that's a factor. I don't 
I, I'm, I'm not disputing that. But I think the Trump trade wars are part of it. I think there are a lot of factors that are going into this. You, know, commod- you look at commodities, oil falling because it... Again, you get the whole self-fulfilling prophecy thing. Well, you know, demand's going to be down because there could be a recession. And, oh, recession! I heard recession! So, I, my advice is always don't panic because that just seems to be a self-created problem. 1255 News Radio WTMJ. One oh nine. How's it going, Wisconsin? Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. I take that big breath because this is a tough topic. And it's the second time this week that we take it up and a specific story on this topic. It's the second time this week that we visit this story. We are revisiting it. It's a teen suicide. And unfortunately, it's a phenomenon far too many parents are familiar with these days. If you were listening earlier this week, Kyle, it was on Monday or Tuesday. I can't. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Earlier this week, we... We took up the topic. It's the story, a specific story, of a young man who committed suicide, and parents were distraught over the way the priest handled the funeral. You may have been listening, you may have heard the segment. If not, I'm going to recap a little and then advance the story. This is from Slate.com. And uh, the parents, very distraught, called for the priest to be removed from his post Pretty much universally, everyone calling, and we took a lot of calls, particularly from women on that topic, and they all, some thought he should be gone, others thought the level of punishment levied by the archdiocese was sufficient. So let me just read this piece from Slate. It's a little lengthy, but it's not crazy long. It'll take me a few minutes, but I think it's the easiest way to reset this topic. Mason Hulleberger's parents described the 18-year-old college freshman as passionate and opinionated, a strong student and a devoted Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So when Mason killed himself on December 4th, his parents wanted to plan a funeral service that would capture the way he lived, not the way he died. Jeff and Linda Hulleberger met with the priest at Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Temperance, Michigan, and requested an uplifting message. To their horror, however, the Reverend Don LaQuesta delivered a homily that acknowledged Mason's suicide explicitly and contemplated the fate of his eternal soul. Jeff Hulleberger was so disturbed that he says he approached the priest in the pulpit as he spoke and whispered, Father, please stop. And here's a fact that I forgot to add the other day, that Father LaQuesta tried to end the funeral, had the music brought up, without the family being allowed to speak. And in what had to be an awkward moment, Jeff got up, the father, and said, hey, whoa, wait, stop. And they got up and spoke. I mean, that, that just had to be, I can't even imagine how awkward that was. All right, back to Slate. After the funeral mass, the family gave several interviews to reporters in which they called for Loquesta to be removed from his post. It's not okay, 
Jeff told the Toledo Blade, he needs to be held accountable. The backlash to the homily was swift. Various media reports have characterized it as cruel, saying Loquesta was criticizing or condemning the teen and lecturing the mourners. The family's GoFundMe page for funeral costs has more than doubled its goal, with many commenters expressing disgust with the priest. The family also objected to the presence at the funeral of Mason's football coach, whom they have accused of bullying him. He was apparently fired in response to his conflict with the family, but he showed up at the funeral. The Archdiocese of Detroit reacted almost as quickly, issuing a formal apology for the fact that the priest was unable to bring comfort to a grieving family. It announced that Laquesta will not deliver homilies at funerals for the foreseeable future, will have his other homilies reviewed, and will receive professional help. To probe how and why he failed to effectively address the grief of the family in crisis, the Archdiocese also released a copy of the homily online. Now, however, some Catholics are pushing back against the demonization of what they argue is a perfectly appropriate funeral message. God bless Father Laquesta. Edward Peters, a professor of canon law at a Catholic seminary in Detroit, wrote on his blog, flatly contrary to how Laquesta's homily has been portrayed in the media, I don't see hell mentioned anywhere, anywhere. Instead, I see a clarion reminders of the mercy of Christ recited at least a half dozen times. An editor at the conservative Catholic news outlet EWTN tweeted that the homily was as good as any priest could conceive for the circumstances, adding that attacks on him by the family are grievously unjust and hierarchical reprimands are scandalous. Another site described Lequesta as muzzled by his archdiocese. The conflict illustrates the widening chasm between the sober rituals of a Catholic funeral and the expectations of families who prefer an upbeat celebration of life. In the Catholic tradition, a funeral is not just a time for consolation, though it is that, but also a worship service and an obligation to pray for the soul of the deceased. The Church is very clear that homilies are not to be eulogies, said Michael Heinlein, columnist for the Catholic publication Our Sunday Visitor. The problem is, that's what people want. Many priests have simply given in to that. The Order of Christian Funerals, the Church's guidebook for funeral services, specifies that eulogies are best delivered at the wake rather than at the funeral itself. Suicide often complicates the tension between pulpit and pew. For centuries, the church banned Catholics who died from suicide from receiving full Catholic, Catholic funerals and from being buried in Catholic cemeteries. Those strictures are no longer in place, and the church now acknowledges that mental illness and other suffering often plays a role in suicide. But the stigma lingers, as it does in much of secular culture. He basically called our son a sinner, Linda Hollaberger told the Toledo Blade, Within Christian theology, every human being is a sinner, and Laquesta did call suicide an act against God, who made us, and against everyone who loves us. He also said that the finality of suicide means the deceased cannot make things right again. But a close read of Laquesta's homily also reveals an overarching message of hope and redemption, which we did mention earlier this week. The homily wrestles with the question of hope from the start, posing the question, is there any hope to offer in this moment? Laquesta answered clearly and repeatedly in the affirmative. Can God forgive and heal this? Yes, God can, 
forgive even the taking of one's own life. In fact, God awaits us with his mercy with ever open arms. For many Christians, the repeated assurances of God's grace and forgiveness would have been a profoundly comforting message. People will debate over whether or not that was the right place for it, Heinlein said. I'm torn on it. Says, uh, I'm torn on it. The homily was blunt in some places, but I thought he was doing what a pastor should do, being a shepherd of souls. Needless to say, the family did not receive it that way. We, including Father LaQuesta, acknowledge that he could have displayed more sensitivity to family in mourning by focusing on the young man's life instead of his death, Detroit Archdiocese spokesperson Holly Fournier told uh, the, this author by email. Heinlein sees disputes like this one as failures of catechists. I, I'm not pronouncing that right. In, catechism. Instruction in the traditions and beliefs of the church. If the family expected a funeral, their parish couldn't provide. They should not have discovered that disjunction as they sat in the pews mourning for their son. We pull off funerals well, but in terms of this and preparing people for them, we, we don't do a good job, Heinlein said. The church has really missed the ball. Parents sat down with Father LaQuest and said what they want. I have an email that I want to share in this, but just before we take calls, I want to set up how I feel about this. My opinion has not changed. Especially when you consider that, according to the parents' accounts, he tried to end the funeral proceedings before they could speak. It just feels, and again, I wasn't there, but it feels agenda-driven. And I said something when we took this up earlier in the week. I am blessed to preach in a, in a Protestant church once a month. My guide is what the Holy Spirit tells me to say. I believe that should be true for a Catholic priest as well. And, I, you know, they're talking about remediation and, and training and all of this. Is anyone in the Catholic Church going to ask him that question? But there are Catholics now pushing back, saying he did nothing wrong. I stand by my position that I, I think he did, because if he couldn't, deli- bare minimum, as this piece points out, if he couldn't deliver what the parents said they want, I think he had an obligation to tell them that, and not have them, as this writer says, find out in the pew. I would appreciate your thoughts on this. 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 119 News Radio WTMJ. 121 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. We are revisiting a story from earlier this week where uh, a Catholic priest wrongly criticized for the way he handled the funeral of a suicide victim. And now there's pushback. Catholics, including other priests, are saying, look, uh, it's not his job to eulogize. It is his job to give a homily to Shepherd, And he was speaking on the realities of suicide. I think you can debate the theology for a long time. A, a friend just texted, and I agree, that if the priest left the family with a mistaken understanding of what he was planning, that's not okay. I feel that's what happened here. They said, this is what we want. He, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, either uh, figuratively or literally nodded, okay, mm-hmm, 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 and then proceeded to do something completely different. 
And if, in fact, the, the family has it accurate that he tried to end the, the service, the funeral mass, before they had the chance to speak, there is absolutely no defense for that. I have an email on this that I'll get to in just a bit. First, let's head to the phones to Danny in West Allis. Danny, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Good. Um, I got to admit... You know, I agree with both sides, only, but only to a point with the Catholic side, where, okay, yes, it's supposed to be a homily, not a eulogy, but he could have picked a little bit more of a positive side to things. And then I do agree with you 100% where trying to stop the, the whole service was just totally, totally wrong. I mean, that you can't do that. Um Look, I think I think half the problem is that society today is seeming well. I shouldn't say society, but younger society is just going to suicide a little too quickly, and you know it's almost becoming accepted. And I just I kind of see the priest's point that okay, you want to show that yeah, this isn't really a way out. It's not okay, but. You have to use a certain amount of tact in that. You have to realize that there are people mourning here. So you're not going to say, well, you know, this this boy made this mistake and he's going to be damned to hell because of this. Okay, you don't do that. It's not a time for a fire and brimstone speech. It's time Danny, to... thanks a lot for the call. i, I got to let you run. I need to let someone else weigh in. Again, my uh, here's, I think, as a friend of mine put it, manage expectations. Okay. Apparently, the family walked away from the pre-funeral meeting thinking he was going to handle this in the way they want. If he wasn't going to do that, and clearly he had his own opinion and that he wasn't going to let them speak, speaks to how strongly he held that opinion. I think that's his greatest failure. To Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, go ahead. Hey, Jerry. I strongly side with the family on this for a lot of the reasons that have already been expressed, but I did want to add that that funerals, the planning for them can be very emotional, and I think that if this priest knew that he was compelled to give them a service that that would not satisfy them, then he needed to be very upfront with them and tell that to them very early, even before like like any of the funeral planning and things like like that went on. I, I just, you know, Jeff, thanks a lot for the call. Here's what I said the other day, and I will repeat this part. And again, this goes to expectation management. They just didn't expect this. And what I would argue, and again, this is this is someone who I, I am, I have been called to ministry, and I suspect before my days are over that I may, in fact, preside over a funeral, not in the Catholic Church. How the family hears the message, I think, has to be considered. That does. I'm not suggesting that if if Father Lacosta felt he had to stay to church doctrine, I understand that. I absolutely do. Suicide is becoming more and more prevalent, and as the Slate piece pointed out, the Catholic Church has come to recognize some realities about mental health and other factors. In fact, allow me to read a portion of an email that we received here at WTMJ after I took this up uh, a couple of days ago. 
jumped in my car today and heard Jerry Bader. He brought up the terrible story of the family who had to suffer through the abuse at the hand of the ill-informed and careless priests in Michigan who during the funeral homily stressed the sin of their son's suicide rather than their wishes for the service. A true horror. I listened with more than a little interest. My son, Drew, succumbed to depression at the age of 13 on January 29th of this year. And, uh, Mike, uh, you will be in my prayers. Uh, You've got, I know you've gone through a year of firsts, and you've got a really tough first coming up on January 29th. And you will be in my prayers. His funeral was attended by a very caring and knowledgeable priest in New Berlin. The question posed to the listening audience was whether the Archdiocese should have fired the priest rather than remove him from funerals for his ill-chosen words. Jerry was careful to state that he was not a Catholic, nor aware of the teachings of the Church on the subject. I actually didn't say that part, that second part. Mike, I am not a practicing Catholic. I was raised Catholic, was a Catholic till 18, practicing Catholic till 18 years of age. So I do have a sense on the background, but not necessarily the current teachings. So you'd be right about that. The modern Catholic Church believes that God does not consider suicide a sin when undertaken by a person who is mentally incapable to act reasonably. Such, uh, incapable such as a person clouded by a deep depression, as our beloved Drew was. In other words, the priest was completely wrong and out of date in the thrust of his sermon. On the night that Drew died, the on-call priest, Father Dave, called and assured me that Drew was in heaven and explained what I left above. His soul was not in peril. Our priest who performed the funeral at Holy Apostles, Don Thim, repeated the same and assured all in our parish at the service that Drew was not cast to hell for sin, but understood to be suffering from a disease that we could not see. God treats his death as one of his flock who died of cancer. It is a disease, not the devil. I think that is a powerful, powerful letter. And again, Mike, Absolutely. I, we really appreciate you listening. Appreciate you reaching out. Absolutely do. And I appreciate you sharing something that is very, very difficult. If you have adult children that, that didn't face depression and, and bullying and other things that kids are facing today, you are blessed indeed. And I have to agree with Mike's email. I think that would be the appropriate way to handle this. It ain't Christmas without Elvis. 137 News Radio WTMJ, Jerry Bader and for Jeff Wagner. Doubling back on the topic we took up earlier this week, and due to horrible clock management on my part, I was unable to comment on a text that I shared with you. So I want to comment on it now and strongly disagree with it. We are revisiting the story of the young man who committed suicide and parents were aghast at the way the priest handled the funeral. They felt it was totally judgmental, just basically calling their son a sinner. And that's not what they expected. That's not what they told the priest they wanted. Now, a couple of thoughts on this. As I mentioned earlier, and if you want to get in on this, by the way, you can. One more segment. If you want to get in, I would get in right now. 414-799-1620, the Icon Mortgage 
talk and text line. The management of expectations. Clearly the parents let it be known what they wanted. The priest saw it differently, Father LaQuesta, and he just went with what he felt was right. I cannot defend that. Say, so, no, look, I, I, this is what I feel I need to say about it. And again, if the reports are accurate that he tried to end the funeral before they could speak, I, there's no defending that. Here, however, is the text that I shared, and I can't just leave this stand without commenting. Do not look to the Catholics for compassion, specifically where suicide is concerned, for they have none. I disagree with that strongly. And this, I think, is the problem with the way Father LaQuesta handled this, is because it continues that perception. It magnifies that perception. All of us who believe in Christ are to strive to reflect Christ more and more each day. I know it's become cliche. What would Jesus do? Would Jesus have handled that death that way? Not according to my reading of the Gospels. And I disagree. There's a lot of... Mother Teresa, now Saint Teresa, was Catholic. Would you say that she was lacking compassion? I think she literally personified what it is to be transformed and to grow in Christ. That's what all Christians, Catholic, Protestant, or otherwise, are to do. And again, I would, I, when they are going through the training with Father Laquesta, I hope that they would focus on that. Because he did not, he, he didn't accomplish, obviously, showing compassion. couple of texts on this. Jesus is lost in the entire conversation. Is suicide a sin? Yes. So is lying, cheating, lustful thoughts. We all die sinners. But in faith in Jesus Christ, that washes us white as snow. If anyone dies a believer in the salvation Jesus Christ offers, then they will have eternal life in heaven. There is no sin too big for Jesus Christ, period. Nothing you can do to earn it, nothing you can do to lose it, it being salvation. Another one. I text often... Okay, yeah, he doesn't He doesn't want this one aired. Sorry about that. Didn't get a chance to pre-read it. Um, yeah, another one, uh, Mike. From what I've read about near-death experiences, I don't believe God would damn any of his children uh, to help fire. I'm not, okay, not sure about that, what he means by that. That's the, that's the biggest issue I have here. Is and I agree with the with Mike, an earlier Mike who who shared I shared his email from the other day. I I, I just I, I don't agree with Father Lequesta's take, not as a Catholic, but as a Christian. And the the stigma, the perception that Christians don't have as their priority: love, compassion, caring. That got legs here. That got massive legs. And I think that's unfortunate. And that's why my position has not changed since we took this up the other day. All right, a story that I think since Monday I've been moving back and moving back and moving back. I'm going to get to it next.
142 News Radio WTMJ. Oh, 145. Open the mic, Jerry. 145. <laughs> One of those days. Should I say 145 again? Because now it exactly was. News Radio WTMJ. So I think since Monday, I was had this story and have done nothing with it. I'll get to it in a moment. I want to tell you, though, what's going to happen at 2 o'clock. And, Kylo, it's a little different than what you have on the outline. I'm going to, because the news is developing here. It appeared that President Trump had resigned himself to signing a spending bill. That now apparently, no, he wants the border wall funding or he's not going to do that. I want to do a very unscientific survey after 2 o'clock. I just want to take as many calls as we can. I'm not going to express an opinion, at least not up front. Do you think the president is doing the right thing, yes or no, and explain your answer? I just want to get a feel. Uh, well, it's an unscientific survey. I'm Just getting as many WTMJ listeners as we can, because it's... I just want to see what you're thinking. Let me, I'll leave it at that. That's, that's enough talking on that for now. We'll get to that after 2 o'clock. Here's the story that I, I really think back on Monday, I, I was going to go with this, and, and just for whatever reason, news kept popping up and news kept popping up, and I've got a little bit of a break here, so I'll do it now. The family of Kanika Jenkins, who was found dead in a freezer in a hotel in the northwest Chicago suburban suburb of Rosemount last year, has filed a lawsuit seeking $50 million in damages. It was filed last week by Jenkins' mother, Teresa Martin, alleging that the Crown Plaza Hotel staff, its security staff, and a restaurant at the hotel are responsible for her daughter's death. The 19-year-old Jenkins was pronounced dead in September, uh, September 10th, 2017, a day after she went missing from a hotel room party, according to Rosemount Police. She was found in a double walk-in freezer in an unused kitchen in the hotel. Her death was ruled an accident caused by hypothermia, so she froze to death in there, according to the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office. Her funeral last year drew crowds of more than 1,000 mourners and spurred dozens of conspiracy theories on social media. I actually managed to miss this one, but apparently this was all over the place, all of these crazy conspiracy theories uh, that were that were on, on social media as to what happened and how she got in the freezer and so on. As it turns out, as footage... Video footage would point out she apparently was intoxicated and ended up, there are other factors, but ended up in the freezer. On September 9th, she arrived at the hotel about 1.13 a.m. in a completely coherent state, went to a party in the room on the ninth floor, according to the lawsuit. 2.30 a.m., she and friends were leaving the party when Jenkins realized she left her phone in the room. Her friends went back to find it, and when they returned, she was gone. It's about 2.30 in the morning. About 4 a.m., friends alerted Martin, her, her Jenkins' mom, that they had not seen her since they first left the room. Martin contacted the hotel and was assured that they would review the surveillance footage, the lawsuit said. When she didn't hear from them, she called police. Jenkins was reported missing at uh, 12.36 p.m. 
on September 9th, about 10 hours later. When police came to the hotel to investigate, the surveillance footage was reviewed for the first time. Hotel or security staff had not watched it. The suit alleges that the hotel hotel failed to properly monitor the security cameras, which would have saved her life. In the videos, Jenkins can be seen stumbling through the hotel, entering an abandoned kitchen, and rounding a corner toward a walk-in freezer. If it's an unused kitchen, why is the freezer still functioning? This does not answer that. The sticker on the door of the freezer, which once contained instructions on how to release the lock system on the door, was completely faded, according to the lawsuit. She was found about 21 hours after she had toured the freezer. Hotel staff and management searching the hotel found her 12.24 a.m. the next day. Um, So her mother is a $50 million lawsuit. That suit contains new claims. It says other hotel, uh, it says the hotel had other walk-in freezers that were kept locked and inaccessible to the public. All right. Clearly it sounds as though there are things that could, policies that the hotel could have handled better. And I don't know what the right answer here is. But a $50 million lawsuit that clearly, she uh, on the surveillance video, according to uh, a, a description, she was staggering drunk through, uh, near the front desk. Yet no one notified police. A columnist for the Chicago Tribune says, look, here's the real story in her death. Young people drinking to excess, binge drinking. She wasn't old enough to purchase it. She wasn't old enough to legally drink it. Uh, Is there any culpability by the hotel? I'm not even going to hazard a guess on that. $50 million, though, for a young woman who made the decision to drink obviously too much and how i mean uh, what are the odds that she would stagger and find a functional freezer in an unused kitchen and whatever instructions there were to open the door if if the reports of her intoxication levels accurate she probably wouldn't have been able to figure that out anyway again i don't want to get too deep into that i do agree with the columnist for the chicago tribune we should focus on the real issue here Binge drinking among young people has become epidemic. And the reality is, if she didn't drink to excess, it appears this wouldn't have happened. All right, I want to set up the next hour's topic in a couple of minutes here. 152 News Radio WTMJ. Two oh seven. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Third and final hour of the Jeff Wagner list show. Jerry Bader filling in. All right. Here we go. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. The Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We already have texts on this. This topic doesn't go without you. 
because I just want to take as many calls and texts as possible, at least in this first half hour, and uh, I'll provide some of my opinion on this topic after 2.30. But I want to take a bunch of calls and texts on this, 414-799-1620. Not a yes or no answer, though, but I, what I do promise is I won't challenge you. Is you can just have your say. I mean, after a reasonable amount of time, I'll have Kyle say goodbye to you. Don't don't get me wrong. But here's the question. It appears that the president, well, we know this, in fact, as I mentioned before the news, a holiday partial government shutdown seems more likely now because the president has reversed course again. As we woke up this morning, it appeared he was willing to sign a spending bill that did not include the, the wall funding. He now says, nope, I've been down this road before. I'm not doing it again. And he just unleashed what CNN called a fury of tweets. And he apparently was very sensitive to criticism that he was backing down or that he was losing. And as a result... Some GOP lawmakers convinced him, no, no, stand strong on this. Have some texts on this. And again, I, at this point, I'm not, I'm not going to weigh in. And I won't challenge you when you call. I just want to get a temperature, a gauge here. Uh, let's see, where's the first text? I agree 100% with President Trump. He needs to make a stand to get money for the wall. I disagree with the president. Why does he always have to say one thing one day and change the next? That is the one thing that he was consistent on. He's consistent on is he's consistently unpredictable. Jim in Milwaukee. I wholeheartedly 1,000% agree with Trump. Shut the government down. Someone has to finally once and for all stand up for the will of the people, and the people on both sides want the wall. Many Dems just won't admit it in public. Well, let me, I do want to answer that, because that's a factual assertion. On December 11th, a Marist poll showed that a large majority of Americans, in fact, want him to compromise to prevent gridlock. By a 21-point margin, 57 to 36%, Americans think the president should compromise on the wall to avoid a government shutdown rather than stand firm. Two-thirds of Republicans say the opposite. And the president has been focused on maintaining that base. So it, it's, it was about 66% of Republicans, but overall, 21-point margin, 57 to 36, as of two weeks ago, felt he should compromise. And he basically told Schumer and Pelosi, I will probably take credit for the shutdown. And then it seemed that those around him had changed his mind, and then today came. So, I have no commentary. I just want to hear from you. I will weigh in after 2.30. to Mike in Illinois. Mike, hi, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I vote yes, but maybe not for the reason you think. It's not because I think we need the wall. It's because I hope they can pin it on Trump as he wants it. Uh, for the shutdown and the Republican Party, and then in 2020, they'll get swept out of office and we can get to a more progressive uh, style of governing again. So you believe this is an unintended Christmas gift to Democrats? Yes. 
Mike, thanks a lot for the call. I may have a comment or two, but I, I promise I won't challenge you on anything. Uh, I just... I think that's the best way to get as many people weighing in as possible. One, you don't have to worry about a debate with the host. And two, we just get more calls in. To Joe in Franklin. Joe, you're up next. Go ahead. I vote no on this. Uh, The man promised us when he was running that Mexico was going to pay for this ridiculous wall. And since he lied on that again, now he wants the American people to pay for it. And where does he think this fifty or million dollars is going to come from, or billion, I should say? We don't budget it. We budgeted nothing for the last two wars the Republicans got us in, and they wonder why our deficit is where it is. They're supposed to be the ones that are taking care of our country, watching where we spend. They're worse than the Democrats. Joe, thanks a lot for the call. To Nicole in Sheboygan. Nicole, you're on WTMJ. Shut down the government. Um... I believe that we should because, let's be realistic, half our border are covered with crosswalk signs that say do not enter. Let's be realistic. No one actually listens to anything unless we actually hold up what we're bargaining with. All right, Nicole, thanks a lot for the call. As promised, I just, I, I'm looking, this is a public opinion survey. Uh, so far, it's pretty split. 414-799-1620 to Jeffrey in Brookfield. Jeffrey, go ahead. Good afternoon. The president is being schizophrenic as usual. And I thought my recollection was that the country of Mexico was going to pay for the wall. So why are we having to even have this discussion? Jeffrey, thanks a lot for the call. I will comment on that because it was never realistic that Mexico was going to pay for the wall. And I I think, if not the president, certainly most Republicans knew that. want to take uh, two more segments of calls on this. Uh, So far, and again, calling into a talk show is not a scientific survey, but I would say I, I should have been writing these down. I think there's a slight edge for those critical of the president for varying reasons. 414-799-1620. 214 News Radio WTMJ. 217 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. Doing a public opinion survey here, a completely unscientific one. Uh, The president, as of yesterday, thought all appearances were he was going to sign legislation continuing spending now. No. I'm holding out for the wall. He, as CNN, I think, rightly points out, look, this is his last chance for at least the next two years. That, that's got to be what's on his mind. But as the president does, he's been back and forth and back and forth on this. So Republicans are likely going to get blamed for this. What's your opinion on the president's latest, at least as of the last time I checked the web, on where he's at. Uh, a lot of people are calling in, so if you're calling in, be patient. Kyle is getting to everybody as fast as he possibly can. 414-799-1620. To Jay McGuanico. Jay, go ahead. Hi. Um, basically, my thought on this is that you have an agreement between the Republicans and the Democrats to avoid a government shutdown. The president is putting his foot down to basically prevent the government shut or prevent uh, that agreement from happening. This is not a dictatorship. This is something that he has solely gone on and 
basically put his thumb in the in the face of everybody else that's trying to make the government work. There's jobs at stake, people getting paid, and the wall can't be the priority. Jay, thanks a lot for the call. Again, I, as promised, I'm, I'm not going to challenge anyone. I simply want to get as many opinions in this half hour as possible, and then I will weigh in in the next half hour to Leo in Cedarburg. Leo, you're on WTMJ. Hi, my thoughts are he is trying to stake a claim to his base. He ran on this as his platform that he wanted to put a wall up. And if it gets shot down because the Democrats don't want to support him, at least he can say, look, I did what I could to get my platform through, and this is my last-ditch effort to prove it. My question also is what does the government do to support illegals right now with government subsidies and whatnot, and what does that cost us a year versus what the walls going to cost us? Leo, thanks a lot for the call. I, uh, as you may guess, do not have that answer at my fingertips. And again, at this point, I'm just letting people weigh in. To Dave in Brown Deer. Dave, go ahead. Dave? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, Dave, I, you there? I, go I, ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm here. Uh, I, I, I agree with Trump. Um, you know, when these people come in, I'm not sure about a wall, but we got to protect our borders enforce our laws that are already in place and my reasoning is like the last caller said who pays for all these people when these ladies and we all feel bad for them they come in pregnant and they have to go to a hospital who pays for that they obviously don't have any money and where do they live and who pays for that and the food i think it's all thanks thanks a lot for the call uh, again, just just taking opinions at this point. Hope I pronounced this correctly. Corinne in Missouri. Corinne, go ahead. Hi. Isn't it flicking Missouri? Um, and yes, you did pronounce my name correctly. Thank you for taking my Corinne. call. Um, yeah. You never. You always say they're going to shut down the government, but you never say what part of the government is going to be shut down. Well, what, um, it's it's considered a partial shutdown, but I get your point. Like I said, I'm not weighing in, so go ahead and make your case. Okay, my case is, is that we should protect our own borders. Therefore, we should put up a wall, and Congress and the House should, should vote for putting up that wall to protect our country, because it's our country, not Mexico's country. All right, Corinne, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. So I know it's a little unusual. This is the point where usually I say, okay, but what about, and so on, so on, so on. Or any host at that point would do that. It's just a little different, something. Okay, I like to engage in radio experiments from time to time. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. We did one earlier this week that worked very, very well. This one seems to be working fairly well so far. 414-799-1620 to Ted in West Allis. Ted, go ahead. Ted, you there? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Go ahead. Oh, hi. Uh, well, the reason I'm calling in is because I think it's about time that somebody in the government stands up for what they said they're going to do. Uh, I think it's time that the border wall gets built partially. It doesn't have to get built everywhere, but we got to have barriers protecting areas that need to be protected to at least curb the flow of illegal immigration so that agents can take care of the things they have to take care of that are more important than just people coming over here to seek asylum. All right, thanks a lot for the call. 
414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line. More of your calls through 230, and I will weigh in after that. 222 News Radio WTMJ. Two twenty-five News Radio WTMJ. We, uh, as uh, Kyle has got a lot of calls exploding his phone, so let me uh, a few texts on this. If you're going to have a government shutdown, shut down the offices that are causing the problem, not parks and such. This goes to an earlier caller, and I, and uh, that, that's the whole partial shutdown thing. He can't blame the Democrats. Republicans have had control for two years, and even they don't want to pass it. That clearly is a problem. If you're, uh, if you're going to have a shutdown, again, uh, the people that are trying to make a living hold the paychecks on Congress. Uh, the thing that, that would help prevent people from crossing the border illegally would be change the laws on how legal immigrants work here. Uh, from Carla Milton, veto the bill and shut the government down because we need to stop illegals from coming into our country. Because President Trump promised a wall when he campaigned and because the rhinos need to be called out. I don't think there's an H in rhino that way. It's Republican in name only. The president lies about everything. Uh, take everything with a huge grain of salt. Worst decision I ever made was voting for that man. Uh, I don't agree with holding the country hostage. This is how a spoiled child acts when they can't get their way. Let's just build a bubble around the country while we're at it. Another texter. Totally against the wall. Waste of $5 billion. That doesn't even include the upkeep costs over the lifetime. We need to invest this money into the people. Uh, Let's see what else we have here. Uh, We have a two-parter. Trump was elected to drain the swamp. These shutdown threats are a symptom of the swamp. Don't we ever pass actual budgets anymore? Voting on continuing resolutions, CRs, should not be the norm. Border security is my Christmas wish. Keep the campaign promise. Build the wall, Tom in Milwaukee. I think he's losing it. Very frustrating. Brian. Well, boy, it's just, it's, it's really kind of all or nothing here. Uh, America has spoken. By electing Trump, they approve of his policies. Actually, okay, that, well, but surveys show they don't. Surveys show most people, in fact, do not support the wall. I said I wouldn't, uh, when, when there's factual assertions made, then, then I will. A, major, a majority in at least one recent poll, about 57% feels he should compromise on this. To Joseph in Appleton. Joseph, go ahead. Hi, Jerry. Um, two points. One being that um, why not a wall? Um, there seems to be a lot of people out there that say they want to do something about it or something some should be done about it, but a wall would be something being done about it, and a wall has worked in other places, so I don't know why not. And if the reason why we're having issues getting this thing built is a money thing, which I don't think it is, but if that is it, according to Mr. Limbaugh yesterday, $5 billion is what the United States pays out in welfare per week in this country. So, you know, it seems like a lot of money, but I guess in reality it really isn't. Thanks a lot for the call. What I would say is the terms of how much money it is, is that the real factor, or is it just 
the concept of the wall itself, I think a very important point. To Chuck in Oconomowoc. Chuck, you're in WTMJ. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I've been thinking of being built. I really feel that it's an absolute necessity based on the history of this country and how it's been going all the way back to when people first were were allowed to enter in and how they entered in legally. And this point has been missed so much. President Clinton, when he was in office, spoke very strongly about building a wall of security in this country based on what was taking place between our country and Mexico. And that same comment has been made by other people on the left. We're not waking up to the fact that we're not a welfare state. We need legal entry, and if that's done legally, welcome them all. But it has to be Chuck, thanks a lot. Chuck, i got to let you go. I, I want to squeeze one more in. John in Milwaukee, you got about 20 seconds. Go ahead. Hey, yes, I do. A Trump campaign on getting the wall built and paid for by Mexico. So why doesn't he do that? That's what I think he should do. Have Mexico pay for the wall. Thank you. John, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. And I appreciate you. I, we're tight on time here. And I, I appreciate you honoring that. I will give you some of my thoughts. TMI, TMI, 234 News Radio WTMJ. All right, so we took a half an hour of calls there. On and If you haven't been following the news, when you woke up this morning, the appearance was that, depending on when you woke up, that President Trump was, in fact, going to sign a continuing resol- spending resolution and forego the fight for the wall. And I don't even have to explain what the wall is these days. He huddled with Republicans in the the House caucus, and nope, I'm going to do the partial shutdown. Now, I have a couple of thoughts on this. First, what do I want to do? I'll do my thought first. When he, here's the problem, when he to Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi said, I would be proud to take responsibility for the shutdown, at that point, he inadvertently, I think, gave up all leverage. Because they're like, fine, okay, shut it down. They believe that that will cause him more harm than them, in fact, cause them no harm. They're all about a shutdown. They're fine with that. And he took ownership in a live meeting in the White House. So at that point, there, there was... There was no way he was going to get the funding. Oh, he'll probably take a shutdown. Then it seemed a responsibility for a shutdown. Then it seemed that somewhere cooler heads prevailed, and going into last night into this morning, it appeared, yeah, all right, they're right. And then he flipped again and is now saying no. So they're huddling, they're trying to get something passed that he can sign, it's unlikely that in either house this would get done. And it's looking like a shutdown is more and more likely. So I asked the question, and I just let folks weigh in, didn't didn't chime in in any way, shape, or form. Here's what I'm reminded of. I'm reminded of a, a former co-worker in my radio, uh, previous radio incarnation. We were both managers in Sheboygan and shared a small office 
And when we were trying to get things for our respective stations, he would often say, is this a hill you want to die on? More simply put, and by the way, he was former military. I am not. What he was saying was, is this really, is this worth it to you? I mean, if this really does you harm professionally, is this that big a deal to you? And I have tended to use that. This is not a hill I want to die on. Is this a hill Donald Trump wants to die on? The Wall Street Journal took that up in an op-ed piece, a very short one. I'm going to share it with you because it's very short. They took it up, uh, posted online last night. It's in the print editions this morning. The lamest lame duck. Trump's shutdown folly has cost the GOP any last-ditch victories. For a flavor of politics in Washington next year, take a look at this final week of the lame duck Congress. Republicans on Wednesday essentially agreed to sign letters of safe passage out of town, kicking spending and immigration issues into 2019 with a short-term continuing resolution to fund the government for two months. The GOP route was probably inevitable after President Trump volunteered last week to take credit for a government shutdown that would begin on the weekend before Christmas. I just think that was a huge mistake. He dared Democratic leaders Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi not to give him the $5 billion he demanded for border security, and they were only too happy to oblige. The White House seems to have sensibly rethought the potential political damage, and by our deadline last night, was signaling Mr. Trump would accept the short-term funding bill. And then they very prophetically ask, but whoever really knows with Donald J. Trump? Well, they were right about that. The price of retreat, alas, alas, appears to be worthy legislation that Republicans had hoped to pass, including a jobs 3.0 package of reforms for capital markets that passed the House in July with huge bipartisan majorities. Mr. Schumer is killing it. Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell had hoped to confirm a batch of judicial and executive branch nominees in the usual end-of-term rush, but Mr. Schumer is blocking that, too. Welcome to 2019. Democrats are arming to route Mr. Trump from first day to last, and they are hoping the president will help them with the similarly self-harming public gestures like this shutdown boast. If Mr. Trump has any hope of winning even small victories, he's going to have to unite Republicans behind him and make the public case with discipline and consistency. We know that's all but impossible for Mr. Trump, but it is the truth. His failed border wall funding strategy is the exact opposite of the way he will have to maneuver. So here is what I would say, my tag-along to that Wall Street Journal opinion piece. Given that there are other things that could happen, other bills that could get done, is this, and I think it is going to damage Republicans, is this a hill worth dying on? No, because I don't think the votes are there anyway. And I understand it was a promise. And despite criticisms I've had of President Trump, I get him, look, I get him looking at the calendar. This is his last chance until 2020. For the reasons the Wall Street Journal shared in that short but very prescient editorial, I agree with them. I do not believe this is a hill worth fighting on. If you have uh, dying, dying, uh, excuse me, it's late in the show. Give a guy a break. 
It's not a hill worth dying on. If you have any thoughts on that, you can get in right now. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 241. News Radio WTMJ. 244. News Radio WTMJ. So I just shared so the first half of this first half hour of this hour. We just took your calls on what now appears to be an impending partial government shutdown. And whatever the impact is on the average American, history has taught that the party who gets tagged with the responsibility pays for it with the public. The president, I, I, I do agree with the Wall Street Journal, it's just a tactical error when he said, hey, I would probably take responsibility for a shutdown. Chuck and Nancy are all good with that. Yeah, really? You can have it. I think that took away leverage. And I do think because for the reasons the Wall Street Journal mentioned in that brief editorial, it's not a hill worth dying on. But Dan and Racine thinks it is. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Yes, sir. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, yeah, I absolutely do think this is... What else is there? What else is left in this country besides putting a border wall up or controlling our border? May it not be immigration completely? It's a step in the right direction. They have not accomplished much of anything except job creation, which is fantastic. We went in there and got got silly with the health care legislation that they never forwarded because the Republicans failed to compromise and do anything that was right. I blame this whole party as a Republican that I back. I back Donald Trump because this guy is the, the voice that most of us wanted to hear. We need this wall. Absolutely. I just left there two weeks ago. Not only is it a personal decision from the fact of I can understand the humanitarian side of this, but the fact is on one day, one case, uh, truckload of 1.4 million dollars worth of methamphetamines came across that we caught and you tell me that this should not be a built well we just gave these countries in two days ago an aid that's unaccounted for not it's right, dan thanks a lot we're, we're kind of losing you thanks a lot for the call and you, you had a chance to to certainly make your point i have said for 10 years now here are the two things i think need to happen with immigration We need to better secure the southern border, and we need to make legal immigration easier. Those, I I believe those are the two secret sauces that have to go together on this. I have not been entirely convinced that it needs to be the wall. And I think there are effective security measures that perhaps Democrats would go along with. But beyond that, he's never going to get it now. Because he tainted it with, with, with his boast, all oh, gladly. Well, they'll, let, they'll gladly let him do it. So I don't think it's worth it because of the tactical error he made earlier. He'll never get it. To Rick in New Berlin. Rick, go ahead. Hey, how you doing? Um, I agree with you, but I think Trump should die on the hill with his saying, I'll make Mexico pay for the wall. You know, simple as that. <laughs> Well, Rick, and and quite honestly, thanks a lot for the call. I I think most reasonable people, even Trump supporters, and yes, there are reasonable people who support President Trump, they likely didn't believe that was ever going to happen. I knew Mexico was never going to pay for the wall. 
Uh, let's see. My God, whose side are you on? Just look around the country what's happening. By the time baby boomers are gone, there won't be an American anymore. We have to build a wall to get rid of all the illegal aliens and keep it like that. Sorry, but sometimes you sound just like a snowflake yourself. Well, I guess they told me now, didn't they? Look, as I said, you need border security, but you also need to be live in the real world. Don't know that you need the wall. I've never been a big fan of the wall. I think there are other security measures that would be effective that at least some of them you could get Democrats on board with. But setting all of that aside, he has poisoned the well for himself here. This isn't going to happen. When he said he would gladly take credit for the shutdown, it was over. Schumer and Pelosi were glad to let him have it. And the reality is, it's a, it's a tough road to hoe with some Republicans in Congress. And it isn't, and I, an earlier caller put it, you know, when you're looking at the $5 billion, I mean, when you compare that to some of the other expenses, it makes it clear it's not really about the money. And the reality is, it's a lot like what happened in Wisconsin with the recent, with the Kimberly-Clark bill, there are Republicans that aren't all that excited about the wall. They, they want more secure border. And no, I, I don't know how anybody can disagree with that, that we have to better secure the southern border. I know there are those on the left that do, but I don't know how, if you're being intellectually honest, you can't agree with that statement. But this, I think, is a suicide mission that's going to accomplish nothing. And as the Wall Street Journal points out, there are other things they could get done that are pretty important. I, when when you're dealing with a fool's errand, I think you set all other ph- philosophies aside. This is a fool's errand. 250 News Radio WTMJ.